This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Mass Bay Guides. Mass Bay Guides is our family-run charter fishing fleet that's based out of Situate, Massachusetts. We've been providing anglers with the ultimate fishing adventure for over 20 years. Whether you're looking to put together a multi-boat corporate fishing trip, a trip for your family, or you're an avid angler looking to catch a giant bluefin tuna, our crew will do anything it takes to make sure you and your friends and your family have a great day on the water. To book a trip with us, please visit the Mass Bay Guides website, www.massbayguides.com. You can search prices, trip information, and get the latest reports and links to our social media pages there. You can also find us directly on Facebook and Instagram and just search Mass Bay Guides. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Costa Sunglasses. Costa offers high-quality polarized sunglasses designed specifically for fishing, boating, and everyday outdoor activities. This spring, Costa just launched their new Pro Series of Frames, which includes a new version of their Blackfin frame, as well as a new version of the Fantail, which is what I wear, so I'm super pumped about that. Um, The idea behind the new Pro Series is they've added some some additional features to the frames that enhance fit and comfort. For example, uh, the one feature that I appreciate the most, especially for the fantails is they now have uh, metal slot keepers on the, the end of the, um, the arms of the sunglasses. So you can tie on or attach on any type of sunglass keeper or lanyard that you want. I'm a big fan of using a um, piece of hollow braid back there. A short piece of hollow braid. So when I'm not wearing my sunglasses, I can uh, keep them around my neck. And, uh, you know, it's also light, barely notice it on the back of your neck when you're wearing your sunglasses. And if it gets wet, it dries pretty quick. So that's my go-to and uh, a little, little tip there for, for Costa wearers or sunglass wearers in general. If you guys are interested in checking out Costa's new pro series of frames, or you need to pick up a pair of sunglasses for the season. Uh, make sure you visit costadelmar.com. Coast the sunglasses. See what's out there. This episode is also brought to you by Deep. New England born and bred, Deep is inspired by the fit of the skate and surf retail world, anchored in the technical aspects of the outdoor and offshore fishing apparel market. Deep designs clothes that bring comfort in the elements and also at the bar and restaurant. If you visit shopdeep.com and use the promo code Seabros35, that's with a capital S-E-A-B-R-O-S-35, you'll get 35% off your next order. Our newest sponsor to the podcast is LT Marine Products. Since 2011, LT Marine has been designing and developing innovative, unique, and high-quality American-made sport fishing equipment. Taylor and I have known the crew at LT since they started. Chris is a great guy. Uh, we've been using every single piece of equipment um, that he's that he's made over the last several years. Um, his rod holders are extremely heavy duty and high quality. He has the machining equipment to be able to put your boat name on the face plates um, and do other custom work as well, which is pretty cool. Um, and recently, over the last couple of years, we've worked with him to develop some new products that have actually been very popular amongst the the northeast um, northeast fishermen, specifically offshore and uh, and tuna fishermen. So two of those products have been his uh, his swim hook for if you're 
harvesting a big, big giant tuna. Um, you know, you want to take care of that fish as, as best you can prior to bringing him on board. And part of that process is after the fight, swimming the fish, you know, for a certain amount of time, kind of depending on the health of the fish and, and how the fight went, but usually ends up being around an hour to get all the lactic acid out of the muscles and, and give a, a better product at the end of the day when we, when we sell our, when we sell our fish. So we helped him design a, an affordable swim hook to be able to tow the fish behind the boat at a low speed and, and accomplish that goal. So, um, that was a pretty cool product that we, that we collaborated on. And another one is, uh, the new LT Marine, uh, release hook. We've been doing a lot of release fishing for giants, um, over the last couple of years with the way that the quota, the quota has been open and closed. So we've really had a need for a way to properly revive these fish and get them back into, uh, into good health upon release. So um, if you go on the LT Marine website, you can see the release hook there. Uh, you can also go on our Instagram and Facebook and see how we have it rigged. But it's a it's a tool that we've implemented um, into our, our process aboard our boats. And, and it, um, it makes releasing fish a lot safer for the crew, a lot better for the fish. And um, it's a really high quality product. Um, we used it all season, never had a problem, never broke it. So definitely check out that new, that new release hook, um, from LT. Um, or if you want to see any of Chris's products, visit ltmarineproducts.com. Please make sure you use the promo code CBROS for 10% off your next order. On this episode of the podcast, we sit down with the one and only OG, old Greg, our father, and, uh, answer a bunch of questions that you guys, all the listeners submitted over the past few weeks. We're long overdue on this one. We finally got a, a break in boat prep and um, tackle prep for the 2021 charter season. So we, we sat down, put this one together and it was a blast. A lot of great stories in this one, a lot of laughs. We hope you enjoy as much as we did. Welcome to the Seabros Fishing Podcast. He's going to have to be yes or no answers. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> no, <laughs> we don't. Next question. Next question, please. All right, c- come closer to your mic, Dad. So he's like, fine. You're the one that was oh, on. Oh, really? Your How mic's do I sound now? High. Your mic's too high. He can adjust me by his How's thing. that sound? Better? Still, he's good. You got to put better? the mic in your face like you're going to please it. You know? I mean, it's really close, like scary close. <laughs> All right, Q and A. Long, uh, long overdue can, for this. Can I start with these ones first because they're not on the ch- chart? They're not on the page. These are quick ones. Okay. Are you guys gonna introduce me or anything? Yeah, we got, we've already we got introduced OG, you. Uh, helping us with our Q and A. Basically, what we did was we um, put a post on Instagram, our Instagram story, asking for questions we want answered regarding the podcast or fishing or tackle or whatever. We got some doozies. Let's start off with a, a real one that's going to make us think. Do tuna fish sleep? No. No? They might go catatonic, but they don't sleep. How do you know this? Did because they have one? to pump to 
get their blood, okay. keep their blood. Do you think they blood. shut off like a piece of their brain and probably? Catatonic, probably, yeah. Okay, I like the word catatonic. We're going to move on for that one. What do you think, Brian? Do they, do they sleep? I'm going to not answer that because I'm going to fact check catatonic. <laughs> <laughs> Although we, they must, oh, they we know they rest and digest on the surface. Yeah, but I don't think they actually. I sleep. think when they're doing that, they're basically in a trance, which is okay. basically what Waiting. I guess catatonic. I don't know what it is. It's when you turn the shark upside down and it goes yeah. to sleep. Right, you can stick his, your finger in it. Stop! <laughs> Stop! Stop! All right, we're it. keeping this somewhat PG. I think we don't I, want to edit. I think days. it's similar to like driving on the highway for a long period of time. Yeah, you, you, you eat out. a big lunch. You know, you go to the the rest stop, have a big lunch, and then you don't remember like fifty miles of What's your that? drive. Yep. To fiend. All right, let's move on. We got the next one. <laughs> that? Dude, oh, I don't know. Like turkey. Trick to fiend. Or... Stop. Trip Stop. To fiend? Next question. <laughs> Uh, do we use tight loops or loose loops preventing crotch breaks? Probably you want to answer that? It depends on the connection. But uh, at the swivel connection, we use a small crotch loop or crimp loop. Yep. Um, and then depending on whether we're using a ringed hook or a non-ringed hook determines the size of the crimp loop or crotch loop at the hook. Basically, we want the, the hook to swing freely regardless of if it's a ringed hook or non-ringed hook. Mm-hmm. Really then, everything to slightly swing, swing freely for the most part. Yeah. The swivel may be a little bit tighter. As tight as yeah. you can with whatever you got in between it should be able to move freely. Yep. Okay, next question. We have, fished, we have a lot of questions. It's okay. okay. I've fished with humongous crotch loops on other people's boats and small, I mean, every crotch loop's going to break eventually. Right. You need the loop on your uh, squid bars, though, to be big enough to fit over a finish nail. So you can hang them. <laughs> All right. Good one. That was a good uh, a point ra- there. Rabbit hole comment right rabbit there. Um, the best OG story ever. I don't know. The most famous one is me falling overboard. Yeah, that's, that one's been beat to death. So yeah, he fell overboard on autopilot and what about was f- saved by a semi-famous person. <laughs> uh, let's see... What age did OG realize he was a superhero? <laughs> well, I probably like first grade. <laughs> and then with the girls, like when I was like 11. Careful. careful. When I was 11 with the girls. <laughs> 11. And, uh, and uh, you know, I just always been never me. Look back. You never just looked never back. You never looked back. Always been me. Nope. Uh, favorite tuna popper? We don't really topwater fish much, um, so I don't have a great answer, but if I was going to choose a topwater lure, it would just be probably uh, like a Daiwa slider. Um, that seems to be one of the more productive lures for casting at fish, but in general, I would just use Ronzi's because you can kind of fish them however you want, let them sink or kind of rip them a little faster and keep them towards the surface. I like those like three hundred dollar poppers. Yeah, that you try to cast and then just <laughs> yeah. break off. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> you bail snap them off. <laughs> what is Bri? What's your favorite thing about your wife and why? Um, <laughs> there's a lot of. Favorite I like being thing. the owner of these questions. <laughs> it's good. It's nice to have you as the facilitator. Oh boy, uh, the fact that she enjoys fishing. Perfect answer. Mm-hmm. Amongst many other things, but. If we're going to relate it to this topic, that. Okay. So that was 
just off my phone and you have a bunch written down we have a ton written and down i actually have a bunch more too but let's start with the ones you have written down all right uh catch logs what do you utilize for a format and what information do you capture um we write down basically our spot the date the time of the bite um and if we didn't get a bite we wrote down when the bites were around us and if we marked you know if we marked a bunch or something so basically if like you know information that seems like it it's worth putting down that might help us for the following year and then maybe anything like really weird about the day like you know heavy wind a particular day or if it was uh the moon tide and also uh the depth and uh the bait that we hooked the fish on i do my fish reports yep and every year i wipe out all my marks on my machine and start fresh <laughs> no He's half kidding. Half <laughs> kidding. But no, I, I I go by what it feels like for me that day. You know, it's yep. like I know that everybody likes to keep logs, and you know, they can go back certain dates. Over the years, you start realizing, you know, okay, in the end of June, this was good, and beginning right. of July, that was good, whatever. But the science to it is the makes instinct. me make my own dis- my decisions different than how I would make them myself. So if I was to say what? See, I'm going to give an example. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't make any sense. <laughs> you know, like all right, my log said that I caught fish at Southwest Corner right. that particular week. day or week, week right. uh, 5 okay. years ago. Yep. But I'm in Middlebank, and the whales are there, and the terns are there, and yep. the water that I looked at on the temperature map is there. I ain't going to Southwest Corner. Right. Yeah. But know? if uh, you can't find the life, you may refer back to your logs and go, you know what? We should just try yeah, fishing but here. Again, I, you know, life is life, so... You know, if you can't find it, they probably yeah. just our regular way of fishing. We're probably not going to fish there, yeah. Unless we know that at a certain time the life's going to come back through, right? I mean, you you see it every day. You go in the morning; it looks dead as a doornail, and but you sit there for an hour and a half, and all of a sudden this huge herd of everything comes flying through and is only there for half an hour, and yeah. that's when you hook up. Yep. Either before it or after it or whatever. So, you know, following we're getting, we're the getting light. sidetracked. Yeah. yeah, but no, I know what he's trying to say. I mean, it's in, yeah. time spent trumps I'm, the I'm, log. I'm at trying the end to of the say day. that a logbook's good. Yep. So, I mean, nowadays we're forced to keep a logbook basically with the government. Mm-hmm. So that's basically what I do now is just keep track. I I can go back to my records and go right online and find out what you caught last year when you caught it. Right. And, if you want, I can yeah. read just what we write down. One thing that I do is, in addition to just jotting down my log and my notes on my phone, I'll cross-reference it with, with photos from the year prior. Yeah. You know? Yeah, photos are big. Let me ask you a question about that question. <laughs> uh, you said that you'd uh, go by what strange things might have been, have, like weather conditions or anything. Like, yeah. So... Is that going to help you in your overall concept of how you get your own instincts? Or no, I are think you it, actually going to take that literally and go, 
well, it isn't raining today, so I'm no, not no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, like, uh, say we're fishing again, go back to the middle bank, southwest corner. Say we're fishing southwest corner for a week with some south winds, and we're catching fish, catching fish, catching fish, and all of a sudden we go th- three days in a row with like nothing going on, and we know there's some northwest coming. I look back in my logbook and go, you know what? We had like a bunch of good days with Northwest winds on middle bank. Let's go up to middle bank. That's kind of what we use it for. So just to read an example of our log, um, it's very simple. It's, you know, is a, let's see. So July 10th, uh, 90 inch released herring, 10 poles, 1040 AM spot, whatever <laughs> pulled hook at 7 AM six pole mac so it's like very just short quick but it also kind of goes all right the fish were clearly just everywhere that day depth wise and then you know you can look back if you really want to and look at the tide and see you know where you're where you're around the slack or was it was it random or whatever but anyways that's what we do everyone has their own own ways of doing things let's start that spot example dovetails well into this question have you ever set up on the ledge eight to nine miles out i'm assuming that whoever asked this is referring to like stone, stone ledge, ledge area yes yes <laughs> yes <laughs> yes there's fish there certain times of the year usually like i'd say middle of september through the end of the year Years ago, there was a good fleet there because there was no, the electronics weren't like they are now. And, you know, when you put a bunch of boats there, people will catch fish there too. So, Hmm. and the whiting fleet quite often is in close to that area. Uh, And if you go into the bay, it's same situation. Mm -hmm. Similar, similar bottom. Um, Top bucket list fish. What's your top bucket list fish, Taylor? Hmm. This is a tough one. I'm going to say probably just a big black marlin. Mm-hmm. I am going to quit fishing once I catch Carcariodon Megalodon. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where I'm going. Uh, I like where How you're How about you, bro? Actually, you know what? Uh, Hooking a great white and landing it by accident would probably be one of my bucket list fish. Is on yeah, my bucket actually list. Actually, getting a, a like a real good release, like we a big got one. Close to our leader one day, but yeah. we didn't touch it, so I can't really say it was a catch. It's also hard to catch them when they weigh they thousands of pounds, <laughs> yeah, two thousand plus pounds. <laughs> What's um, your bucket list? I price? thought it was easier than a minky whale, though. <laughs> I mean, you got one of those to the boat. Oh yeah, all the way to the leader. IGFA touch the leader, whole bit. Yep. It's not. I would I would join you with the black, black marlin. Yeah, they just look angry at the boat. Like they, they just do. want to keep jumping forever. They're, What's the next question? They don't happen all the time. I'm I'm with yeah. you there on billfish for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, if we had an unlimited budget, what would? I guess what would each one of our dream boats be? They're going to differ slightly. I look at it differently. I wouldn't build a boat. Like if I had, if I got a bazillion dollars, I wouldn't build a boat. I would just pay to go fishing all over the world and just fly places. Yeah, immediate gratification. Say, my favorite boat would be somebody else's. 
<laughs> I agree with that. But, uh, and I just spent my <laughs> unlimited budget on somebody else's boat. <laughs> yeah. Get my um, toenails done and everything. Dude, I don't think there's a person on this planet that would do your toenails. Honestly, though. And you know the scene from Dumb and Dumber when they're using the grinder yeah. on his toenails? That's what it would be oh like. I was the stuntman for that, for that part of the movie. That's disgusting. It's right after my, when I was a stuntman for the uh, adult film industry. <laughs> Um, I would probably build, um, I'd probably go like the total random route and do like, um, the ultimate fish style boat, like a big, humongous gargantuan sport fish boat that had, that you could also live on wicked comfortably, travel anywhere with, and then has three cockpits. And it it has a 30... For Freeman on the bow. On the bow yeah. I think the real answer would probably be purpose-built boats for whatever the hell I want. Right. To what? Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'd have a purpose-built boats for traveling and yep. a couple of nice center consoles and going fast. You know, a forty-footer that. I'd have a huge down east boat for fishing bluefin too, and I wouldn't want to be on a sport fish for bluefin just because like extra prop, just shit. And just the way you just the way you fight them. Yeah, um, I would agree with you. The mothership and mothership tender program with a Freeman and a flats boat. You wouldn't be worried about commercial tuna fishing though, with an unlimited budget. Either. Well, just catching tuna, not commercial. Just catching big fish. But for billfish, I would definitely want twin engines and going fast. If you had to pick one down east hull, what would you build? I'd probably have Corey Gimon build me something special out of one of the types of hulls that he has. So a big Don L or you know, Millennium. Millennium big, or Don Provincial. Yeah. yeah big stuff. provincial. Like to design it. I'd probably design it with a walk around cabin, a little extra width on it. Yep. Uh I definitely would make my four deck usable, my rear Back deck usable, you know, just, I like those boats and the hull size is already like perfect. Yeah. You know, and as far as like most of our harbors around here, <clears throat> anything bigger than 40 feet, you're going to have trouble finding a place to keep it. So I'd probably stick right around that 35 range. And if you're in Green Harbor, you can't even get out of the harbor. Anybody <laughs> doesn't know who Corey Guimond is. He owns Millennium Marine up in New Brunswick. Yep. They have a shop in Maine now, too. Yep. They don't build provincials, but that's okay. Well, I know, I know where you're going. That style. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. Provincials a boat itself, too. Yeah. But. I've been on all of them, and I enjoy them all equally. <laughs> um, what else we got here? What about our superstitions? Um, I mean, we have our rules and stuff, but as far as like superstitions, we kind of broke some of those. I mean, we, we joke with the banana thing, but I've caught awesome fish with bananas in the boat. Um, I like the banana superstition because it gives me an excuse if someone brings bananas and we don't catch a fish. Yeah, you can blame it on them. Yeah. yeah. So that's... Um, I don't, honestly like lost a lot of like we we now completely rigged the harpoon, you know tail ropes are ready. Um, we kind of got rid of a lot of that. 
in the last three years, I'd say. What do you have for superstition, Dad? Uh, as long as I don't shit blood in the morning, I'm probably good, you know? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> um, holy shit, that's funny. I have quite a few, actually. Do you really? Yeah. I, I have, I have on hidden one. ones. No, you don't. Yeah, I do. Well, I know you have the lucky shirt. I believe in karma more than I believe in superstition. Yeah. Mm. So I'm a firm believer in you do one thing good, it comes back to you 10 times good. You do one thing bad, it comes back to you 10 times bad. So, you know, just karma is probably my biggest superstition. I thought I thought bad is supposed to come back to you more times than good. I don't know. Either one. Come Either back one, the like, same amount of times? They multiply. <laughs> okay. It's exponential impact is what he's got. <laughs> yeah. Um, what are your superstitions? You wear certain shirts. I know that. Yeah. So if anyone gives me, if anyone gives me a shirt, you know, their boat shirt, company shirt, whatever, I give it an honest one to three fishing trips. Like, like solid. Then you won't wear days. it again? And if nothing productive happens during those one to three fishing trips, it goes to the bottom of the barrel. Okay. And then if something good happens wearing You're it, disgusting. You wear multiple days yep, in a row. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not multiple days in a row, but it gets added to like the top tier. Yeah. I'm like that with my underwear. <laughs> <laughs> you know, no skid marks, it's on for a week. And the minute it gets a skid mark, it's done. You know the bite's good when OG just has skid mark filled underwear. Uh, Nothing worse than, worse than Crayola affecting your underwear. Uh, oh, God. Drawing on your underwear. Go ahead. I'm just here for the humor. <laughs> uh, favorite fishing destinations? Um, we can talk about where we fish, and they've all been pretty good. I like everywhere I've gone for one reason or another. Yeah. If you made it specific, then, you know, for certain types of fish, I could pick one, but... As far as, you know, we've been a lot of places ourselves as a family. I've been a lot of places myself by myself when I was younger. And everywhere from, you know, St. Lucia to Dominican Republic to the Yucatan to the Pacific Ocean, Alaska. They're all good, but they have their certain things, you know. you got to find the right people. Definitely. Where do I want to go? Like, if I was to say now, like, what I wanted to do, I want to do Amazon. Uh, and what fish for those big I just always things. wanted to go in the Amazon, fish for whatever's in there. Yeah. Just, you know, fish for monkeys. <laughs> 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 but I just, something I always wanted to do. Toucan? Toucan on dick? Yeah, Put a live toucan on the kite. <laughs> no, you catch him with, with Fruit Loops. <laughs> oh, yeah, perfect. I would uh, would love to go back to Costa Rica. I love Costa Rica. Because of the too. weather and, like, the. It, I shouldn't even say it's really that easy to fish because you do have to kind of travel a little bit by boat, but depends on where you go out of. But the fishing there is just, like, easy. It's almost always calm. It's on the on the west side. Um all types of fish. You know, light tackle, sail fishing's awesome. Blue Marlin can be awesome. 
I'd like to go back there and inshore fish and do like rooster fish and snook yeah. and stuff like that. That place we were looking at in uh, Guatemala looked pretty cool too. Mm. Uh, on the, it's on the Atlantic side though. Yeah. When, was it you? I don't know. No, we were watching. It was, um, I forget what, someone on YouTube. They had like, you know, inshore tarpon and yeah. it just looked like a really cool looking place. But as far as like places we've gone, like anyone that's listening that is looking for boats to fish on or something, a uh, bunch of different areas in Florida we've fished. Um, we've done Cabo many times. We've done PEI many times. Um, Costa Rica, Costa Rica down there, the Dominican, quite a few times. I just got back from the Everglades a month ago, that was cool. and I would definitely consider that one of my top destinations now. And to your point earlier, and our and to relate it to our experience in PEI, it's like it's the whole experience. It's the people. Yeah. It's the kind of all inclusive sort of feel. The gas stations, the tackle shop, everyone's there. Everyone's. It's just a. Uh, it's a real community feel down there, mm-hmm. and it's, I think, as close to your, as you're going to get to that uh, uncharted waters, Amazon sort of feel. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were, dude, some of the places we were going in the little whaler, be, you know, piece of shit whaler skiff with Scary. Dave, and the, it was just awesome. Yeah. Like, lifting the outboard <clears throat> up over mangrove roots and just like, Sick. it's crazy stuff, but. What else you got? All right. Um, let's see here. You guys didn't mention Hawaii. Hawaii is an yeah, incredible I mean, Hawaii, place, too. Man. Hawaii is insane. It is. We can do a whole podcast on each of those places, probably. I have other questions, too, that we didn't write down. Here's a, here's a, a gear question. What head cam mount do you use for filming? Well... We use, we, we like the session, the hero session, just because it's a little bit lighter, but you know, they, they, they've come out with some pretty cool different mounts. Even the chest mount is cool and they have, um, <clears throat> I was just actually looking at them. You can, you can look them up. They're making like new magnetic mounts even so that you place something, you like wear the chest mount under your shirt and then it has a magnet on it. And then an external mount clips to that. That's how the cop came. So you don't have to like, put a hole in your shirt. So like, there's some sick What's new that called? stuff. Like the Iron Man mount? Dude, there's some something. sick no, new you stuff coming out. put the metal thing in your pocket. And then it's yeah, like, it clips to like, it. A lot of the cops have that. So like, start checking out for that kind of stuff. But uh, we just use a standard like GoPro-style head mount with... The floaties important. Floaty. Taylor's... <laughs> Dude, I've literally lost... I lost one. In PEI. And I've probably dumped a half a dozen cameras into the water trying to lead or fish with a head cam mount on. And um, you definitely want either a flotation or like a really good uh, Finley necklace. Is, Finley is pounding on the door. My pounding on the door trying to come in. She uh. <laughs> sounds like a pterodactyl out there. It's like the velociraptor opening the door yeah. in Jurassic Park. Um Let's see here. Thoughts on kite rigs. Our perspective on kite rigs is a little different than most, I think. I mean, the home base of it's really Florida and the sailfish tournaments. And Hawaii, actually. Hawaii as well, fishing. Originated for fishing offshore and morphed into what it is now. Multiple kites, multiple baits, but 
As far as our kite rig, it's simple is better. So we have our kite rod, 60 to 80 pounds, solid core braid on that, flying the kite. We, uh, we actually don't use stopper swivels on that line for the kite clips. We, we place a rubber band once we get to the, ki- the kite to the height that we want, depending on the wind conditions. So that's the kite. And then we use blacks, blacks clips. Yeah. Blacks clips. Um, those Debro like spring clips work well too. And then as far as the actual rod that has the bait on it, we use, you know, we use one thirty to fish for giant bluefin. So we actually use 200 pound hollow core spectra as our quote unquote top shot, but it's really our backing. We just don't put a top shot on it when we're fishing it on the kite. Then we go to a, 370 swivel whatever you know whatever size swivel you want and then the leader is usually shorter slightly shorter and much heavier you know three four hundred pound everything's out of the water and um generally speaking a little more commercial fishing and we've mentioned this before in other episodes and actually in a couple of the patreon q a's but we usually always have a j hook on the leader just because of the way the fish specifically tuna bite the kite bait but when we are catch and release fishing, um, we will fish. We will fish a circle hook on the kite. So, as far as a marker, I'm trying to make sure I don't miss anything here. As far as a bite indicator, we don't use those uh, foam floats, those cone floats. We we actually just use a balloon. And if the bait is smaller, we'll add a little bit of water to the balloon to, to add a little bit more weight down low near the leader. But the balloon's nice because it tears away and. It's reels cheap. up and you reels, reels up. Reels if you have to. Exactly. The new when he said shorter leader too, he's talking like ten or twelve foot leader, not like real short. Yep. You still want to try to stay longer than the tail whip on the fish. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Good, good question from Connor Doherty. I'm assuming he's being a little funny with this question. <laughs> what is your preferred girth of a typical herring that you use as a hook bait? <laughs> Wide. Wide. Yeah. Wide we like, like Connor. We like to use like... <laughs> oh, that was good. That was good. Size large. If I get a Connor-sized herring, he's going on the hook. <laughs> Might as well use a couple tarpon put together. Um, oh, that's funny. So, big fat female herring is what we like to use. So, yep. the belly actually is curved and not straight. Um... But better a herring than no herring. When will old Greg approve speakers in the boat? I want to know the answer to that, too. Me, too. I've been asking since I've started fishing, which was three years old. <laughs> you know, not a necessity. <laughs> you also... you We don't need speakers with the amount that you fucking talk about. Speakers, <laughs> speakers, speakers, speakers overshadow me. So. <laughs> uh we have some canning questions too. We'll save those to the end. Um, what brand wide tracker bars do we use? Uh, we actually buy the bar, the, the actual bars themselves from uh, Chatter Lures, uh, just because you can adjust which side of the spread by switching the fin. Um, Carlson also makes a great um, wide tracker bar too uh his do not change directions though sterling i've used the sterling bars in the canyons a lot and they're great and they're really well rigged the biggest thing is making sure that your main line on the bars is over 300 pound 300 pound or heavier 
uh, for Giants. You know, we we rig everything with four hundred pound. But uh, yeah, you can you can a lot of the play, a lot of the companies you actually are forced to buy the whole bar with the squid on it. Um, but if you kind of explain what you're doing, if you're targeting bluefin up north and you want to put bigger squids, they'll usually buy they'll usually sell the uh, bar itself to you, and you can rig it yourself. Um, Next. Top two or three things when consi- uh, top two or three things to consider when gearing up to start canyon fishing. Um, safety is obviously number one. Yeah. So safety and boat aside, we're talking about just probably tackle. Yeah. Let's just talk tackle. Safety is safety is the obvious one that you want to focus uh, on. Having enough. Having enough. Period. So like. You know, if say you're fishing a small canyon spread with, I mean, you could go as low as five rods and still be very productive, but standard spread, I'd say is seven to nine rods. And so you need enough rods and reels to get you through the day and get you through the night. You know, most of the boats we are going on, we have, we have probably seven, seven to 10 trolling, you know, tuna style setups. We like have 30 to 80 pound class. Yep setups and definitely um at least four 80s either in that mix or on top of that mix just for marl- blue marlin fishing and, uh, and pitches and big eyes and uh and then you have like the, the smaller gear for white marlin it depends on what you're doing if you're just going out to catch you, you can you can do everything you need to do with probably nine rods so you could fish seven rods during the day and then have two ready at night so you're not having to like re-rig everything and have fresh top shot to, to fish at night with two rods. Um, and then also having enough harnesses. Like, you know, you get wolf packed with big eyes and you have five on or six on, whatever. You know, you don't want, especially with stand-up rods, having one guy in a nice harness and then four guys all with the butt in between their junk and their leg getting beat to crap and you're on the fish for like three hours. Um your crew, I think, crew as well. Got to have yeah. enough boat. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I know. But it also I require like seventy feet plus. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep. fuel. There's so many variables, but I mean, keep going on the tackle side though. Tackle side, bait. I mean, good ballyhoo. Mm-hmm. Re- having redundancy. So we just mentioned kind of your tuna, you know, large tuna, billfish, like your everything spread rods. You need some redundancy there for when stuff breaks off. If you're going to get into bill fishing, you need, you know, white marlin rods. I would say at least four to four to get going. Yep. Um, at least one to be able to pitch. You know, if you're just going out there for fun and you don't care where you catch and you're fishing just 50s, have one like basically an oversized bass rod with... Um, you know, I, would, I probably wouldn't go any heavier than 60-pound mono. Most guys are going like 40 to 40 to 60-pound on their white marlin pitch rods. And uh, just like a – you could go as heavy as like 130 liter, but just a short re- liter with a circle. But having one thing ready just to pitch to a white because it, ma- it makes a huge difference trying to feed a white marlin on a little rod compared to a – 50 wide or something mm-hmm. if you don't care just wait until it hangs itself on a lure yeah but there's a ton of things i mean we're going to the canyons we probably have at least 60 ballyhoo we have at least two of everything 
lined up, especially when it comes to like colors of value rigs. So say we're fishing Joe shoots on the long riggers. We have at least two of each color we plan on fishing. We probably have 10 Joe shoots already rigged with baits on them at a minimum, like for fishing hardcore, the canyons. Cause when you get into the bite, the bite may only last two hours and you're just like literally th- getting things out there as fast as you can. Once the fish are in the boat, um, you can, like, you can go on and on. About you can go on and on. And like I was saying, the crew, crew, I mean, the crew, all of that is nothing. If no one has a role, right. no one understands what goes where no one understands, you know, kind of the ebb and the flow of processing fish, keeping the deck clear, making sure the spreads running correctly. You need eyes in the back of your head and everyone on the boat to be extremely productive needs to have that yep. and, and understand how to anticipate. But we should just do, we got to do just like a whole, you know, once we... And everyone fishes differently too. That's the exactly. cool thing about the canyons. Like talk to someone like Galvin, he's going as, as light as like 30 wides and everything with light drag and lighter mono and uh you know he's catching big big fish big big eyes blue marlin everything all the way up to you know guys that only want to go there with 130s just to hammer the tunas and they want to cut off a blue marlin if they hook it so there's like a giant range of what you want to do and that's kind of would decide of what's the most important that you're going to bring and prepare for next what is the optimal trolling speed for your canyon for your canyon spread? I like right around seven knots, between six and a half and seven knots. Agree for it to catch everything. You guys use RPMs out there? Yeah, but as far as like speed wise, you know, you, what's cool about the canyons is like there's times that there's not a lot of current. You can find places that there's really no current. You can just get like a good spread going and figure out when your lures start to look good. If I'm definitely targeting blue marlin, I'd be up into like the seven and a half uh, or more knot range. And if I was like targeting whites only, I'd be down closer to like six knots. And if you're green sticking, usually go a little bit slower, but it all depends. Are all there weeds too? Weeds. You can pick your speed up a little, make sure you're clean on weeds. There's, there's so many variables, but generally... That's six and a half knot range, like six, eight, yeah, six, five, seven. I mean, that depends on the boat, but mm-hmm. best way to just troll the speed that they bite it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, if you're going um, too fast, slow down. If you're going too slow, speed up. Just ask them. <laughs> it's easy. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, special techniques and tweaks to the spread to target small fish. So. You want to talk I, about trolling first? And then. Yeah, I interpret this as what is your small fish trolling spread and your small fish bait spread. Why don't we start there? Uh, trolling spread, we personally don't do much difference other than might add an extra rod uh, with another bar on it. And sometimes we might scale down the size of our squids. You know, instead of, we fish mostly 13-inch squids, so we might drop down to like 11s if there's a ton of small ones. But we're... We've had years when there's a lot of small fish that sluggos work awesome. Yeah, sluggos. But then again, it changes. Like with sluggos, you can only fish two. Yeah. For some reason, you try to put a bunch of sluggos out. You don't. It's like catch fishing value fish. and dead yeah. bait. You, you want put two, two out, three rods, and spread them apart, really far apart. 
Mm-hmm. I've had some of my best days sluggo fishing on one rod, one sluggo, because for some reason that lonesome thing gets them. Yep. Yeah. And then, I mean, do you have anything to add to that trolling-wise? Yeah, or I can talk to the bait side of it. Yeah, it's fine. Usually higher baits and mackerel. Yep. You know, high floaters, you know, above 50 feet. 15 to 50 feet down, no weights, usually on the drift, trying to stay mobile, you know, because usually when we're catching a lot of smaller fish on bait, you're seeing them and they're on smaller rain bait, you know, up on top of the bank or whatever else. So it's usually drifting high baits Yep, is more productive. The kite, you know, if I know it's only a small body of fish around, that's what I'm going to fish. You know, I'll fish a high Mac, like a kind of a midwater floater Mac mm-hmm. and uh, a kite. It's been a while since we really targeted small fish a few years. But uh, when there's a lot of them, too, we used to balloon down tight on the leader. Yep. Keeping the thing up as high as you can for some reason. Trackity, it high floater. It seems to work. You know, maybe it's the predators down deep, but... For some reason, smaller fish tend to bite up higher than one, one on thing, the average. One thing, too, we did a little bit last year when the small ones were out east eating uh, butterfish and being a total pain in the ass to hook. We were using, and, and, and also there's some years that they're chasing spike mackerel, tiny mackerel around, and put on a little, you know, put one tiny mackerel on a rod, um, you know, and then fish two pretty oversized mackerels, too. You know, the ones that it'll make, it'll make the big ones will stick out from the rest of the bait, but that small one sometimes will kind of catch the rye because of the silhouette and the uh, presentation of the bait. So we were actually getting quite a few bites on like tinker mackerel when they were eating the butterfish out east, just because, you know, looking up probably was a little bit closer to the size of one of those big butterfish. Just so people know, when he was talking about last year out east, when what he's talking about, there was some tiny, tiny fish in a lot of 30 them. inches. And then every once in a while, you'd see big, giant 100 inches jump out of the water. But we, I saw some of the smallest bluefin tuna that I've ever seen in my life last year out in that stuff. And that's, I think, why the little baits worked for us, because I don't think these fish had even ever tried to eat a mackerel bigger than Probably. Like 10 inches. Right. I had a day with Miles in November last year where every single fish we saw was 20 pounds, 15 pounds, tiny, tiny, tiny. They look like bluefish. Yeah. So we may may see another Peaked Hills small fish year next year or something. Who knows? Love that. Good action for the charters. I have more. I don't know how long we've gone. We've gone 40 minutes, so let's let's do a couple more questions. Um we got a question, how to start working in the charter industry. Actually, OG does a good job of answering that in his his uh, full episode, um, you know, 10 or so episodes back. So it's kind of long-winded. Definitely check that out. Long-winded, what, shocker. One tip. There, you can't start <laughs> a new business in the charter industry now. It's just so tight, there's no room for you. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, just forget about it. Yeah. It depends. Yeah. On, if you're looking to, to start as a mate in the charter industry, uh, tell them you want to work for free, honestly. That's probably the easiest way to get on some good boats. You'll work for free. You want to learn. You want to 
work for them in the future, whatever, learn their process. We did. We all did. We all did. Even though our family was in the charter industry, we still did that. Yeah, prior to that. Right. Like in the canyons, like we didn't have a canyon fish and the first probably 20 canyon trips we did was all for free and was all you know, to have fun, to learn, to, to, but also working our ass off. And eventually people saw that and they wanted to hire us because we were working so hard. We were working as if we were getting paid, but we weren't. We we're not just going there to make sandwiches. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other tip was if a charter company is looking for a mate, when you send a message with your information looking for that job, write an actual like coherent message that would make them want to respond to you. <laughs> and then couldn't agree, couldn't we probably more. had f- at least 50 people reach out to us when we were looking for a mate. And I'm going to say five actually wrote like resume worthy messages instead of just like, Hey, what's up? I want the job or whatever. Yeah. Like you're applying for a job. Like granted it's fishing and it's like, a little more blue collar, but like actually answer the questions we asked in the post and, and all that kind of stuff. That just was pissing me off. Attention to detail. That is as the far as starting a business too. You have to realize that you want to do it full time. Like we do it. Then you have to do it full time. It's not a part-time job. You do anything part-time in this business. You'll always be part-time. Mm-hmm. So you have to develop and jump. It doesn't happen overnight. You know, you got to work with the other guys in your harbor. You got to, you know, you can't just jump in and think you're going to undercut people's prices. And that's why you're going to get, you know, the the guys that are good name their own price. You know, we stay moderate because we want people to be able to afford it. But, you know, just don't think that you're going to jump in here on a you know weekend warrior basis and become a big business. You know, these companies that sponsor us, they realize we work seven days a week, 365 days a year on our business. Even though we're not fishing, we are still working at it. Mm-hmm. And hard work pays off, so. And for years, I mean, we, we you weren't really, like, busy, busy for probably five years, right? No, I had to run another business to right. be able to afford to start buying the stuff for a charter business, you know? Yeah. The difference was, though, when you when someone wanted a date, you would do anything you could to do it. Right. And you were answering their phone. Yeah. I mean, we'd have a big, giant construction job going on, and I'd play hooky and go do a charter. You know? And make 10% of the money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you have to really love fishing. You have to really like people. Uh, Mm -hmm. If you're not a people person, just go commercial fishing. Mm -hmm. You know, if you, you got to like people, you got to be wanting to teach people. As you can see, our family enjoys teaching people and sees the, uh, the joy in other people's eyes when they learn to do something. So you got to have that attitude too. What else you got, Taylor? There's some... One uh, one of the charter guys asked about proper hook placement of the swim hook. So if we're releasing a fish, we're using the tiny little LT hook that's like basically a, an oversized J hook, and that's going right into the corner of the mouth, like right in the hinge. Inside out. Inside Always out. Always inside out. If we're killing a fish, we go inside out, 
but down through like the lower jaw gill area and uh, latch it. And with the swim hook. With the, swim with the hook. actual. The big There's giant two hook. different types. There's one right. small release hook, and then there's the actual larger swim hook that has the carabine or cable lock yep. clip on it. So when we're releasing, we're hand placing that small little hook in the corner of its mouth. We're not using a gaff. We started off using gaffs because that's what, there's really no other options. And, you know, we never made any major mistakes, but there was a couple times that the gaff really wasn't in the perfect spot. And, you know, the fish might bleed a tiny bit or it was kind of like, ah, I wish I got them two inches over here or whatever. So that's why we definitely started using 100% that that small little swim hook because you're going down there and accurately placing it in the fish's mouth. You can't really screw it up. And if you're, if you can, the fish is coming in pretty green, swimming good. Don't even bend over trying to get that thing in there. Swim them on the hook. If you got one of those ring hook pullers, use that to get your hook out. But swim them on that before you stop to actually get the hook out. And, you know, worst comes to worst, he ends up with a hook in his lip that'll get out of his lip fairly quickly. But, uh, you know, it's dangerous swimming them. And, you know, if the fish is green, swim on the the hook he's already on if you release him. If he's green and you got a decent sized leader, you're comfortable just even you can kind of go overhand leadering, but I mean sometimes you got to double wrap it and just bump the boat in and out of gear and try to swim them for as long as you can, and then either double triple wrap and just break them off at the hook or try to get the hook out. But I mean we released a lot of probably you know at least sixty fish last year. And um, we probably only had to break off like maybe a half dozen or so. They're usually ones that are really green. They're usually the most green and in the best condition to wire and revive on the leader and then break them off when they're doing their circles and their belly to the boat. That's usually when they're the easiest to or- reorient when you get them on the leader. When they're back to the boat doing their pinwheels awkward. and their belly's facing away from you when you have them on the leader at the boat, that's usually w- most times when we have to use the release hook because it's the only way to reorient them straight, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. You'll know. Mm-hmm. You know, he pops his head up. You're probably going to have to get the release hook in him. Mm-hmm. Stays down and swims and... You know, with our stern steering and stuff, you're able to time your steering with his circle and you can lead him into a dog walk and just start walking him. Mm-hmm. Uh, it almost happens every time, you know, if you are able to, if, once you catch a bunch and you release a bunch, you'll know what I'm talking about. What's our, what's our last question? We could do the safety thing or... Um, kind of out of alright last question it's a good one to end on safety procedures on the boat and how you do deal with new people coming aboard uh, every day we uh, they're looking at me because he's, ingrain- he's, he's, he's drilled the- this into our brains <laughs> since we were yeah. born That's first weird. of all so a lot of you guys know I got you know, quite a few years of Coast Guard experience, so I had all kinds of training in safety. But, uh, you know, if you're literally 
it's a habit every day. We do the same things every day. Uh, starting off by first thing in the morning, you know, if it's a new guy working that you're asking about, you know, we make sure he knows how to check the bilges, check the bilge pumps, check all the things that are making sure the boat's not going to sink. Uh, and then when the customers come on board, we tell, we stop them for a second, we tell them where all of our safety equipment is, life jackets, life rafts, uh, all, the way, all the way down to the toilet and toilet paper. Uh, go over the radios, yeah, the radio channels, channels to go on. All that stuff so that you, at least if something happens to you, and these people are, for some reason, left on the boat by themselves. They at least have, you told them once, so maybe they might remember. Uh, and usually we you have know. five people, so usually out of right. those five, one of them is going to remember something. Exactly. And then, uh, you know, some people will ask questions, and you could tell they're all nervous, and they want to know this and that. And I had a guy one day who was like, had to know how to put the life jacket on and the whole bit, you know, he didn't know how to swim. And, you know, I told him that you don't have to worry about anything until you see me go running by with a life jacket on. <laughs> so the guy fell asleep in one of the chairs out back and I grabbed a life jacket and put it on and I stand in front of him and start screaming and yelling. <laughs> Absolute nightmare for the dude. I think he actually peed his pants. But it was pretty funny. But anyway, safety is important to us. Uh, you know, sharp object safety, you know, we always mention that, uh, harpoon line, you know, harpoon lines, you know, when we're talking about safety with the fish, like how to catch the fish, we tell them how dangerous it is to grab the line, how dangerous it is to get between a line in the gunnel, uh, anything like that. And we try to teach as much safety as possible as far as, uh, on a drinking basis, we get a lot of guys that ask me if they can come drinking on the boat. And it's like, I don't mind, you know, having a few beers, glass of wine, maybe even your victory shot or whatever. But, you know, it's not a place, especially fishing for sea monsters like we do, not a place for uh, being drunk. It's just really isn't you know especially if you don't know what's going on or what could possibly happen to you so you know i mean i know everybody likes to drink and party and stuff when they're fishing and you know when i'm on vacation i'm the same way you know but you just have to realize how dangerous it can be out there as long as you have fear of the ocean and fear of danger you'll be good mm -hmm. that was well said what's your What's the craziest drunk? Maybe you don't even want to say this. Craziest what's, what's a couple of good drunk stories? We're not even going to say which boat it was uh, on. Let's see. We've no, names, no, names, no names, no names, no boats. No, I won't. We've had everything from naked women jumping over, <laughs> over the side. That's a good day. To, uh, uh, one guy stabbed one of the mates one day. <laughs> uh, we had a guy... Tell us that if we didn't take him home right now, he was going to kill somebody. <laughs> we took him home. Uh, and called the police. Yes, yeah, so with blue lights flashing when we pulled up. We told him to go incognito till they could see us, our faces. And, uh, that was bizarre. Uh, what else? We, we had a guy one day 
all of a sudden we're sitting there fishing and we were tuna fishing. It was a beautiful, calm day. And all of a sudden the guy says, why are these jet skis surrounding us? And we're like looking at him and his wife was there and I'm looking at him like, what are you talking about? There was nothing surrounding us, maybe a couple of whales. And uh, he's like, the jet skis are going to get us. And I'm like, he was talking like the smokers and like, Water we like world. what is going on? And I asked his wife, what kind of drug is he on? And she's like, he doesn't take drugs. And so we started thinking the guy might be having a stroke because it was like the most bizarre stuff you ever saw. And they always say, you know, people do weird things when they're having a stroke. Different mental state. So we call a Coast Guard. We got the fire department ready. We're, we go rushing in. We had an escort into the harbor, you know. And uh, they get there. And it turns out the guy overdosed on Dramamine. Uh, which you just kept he, taking them. Uh, he said he got up, he took one at night, he got up in the morning, took another, got up in the morning, took and when he was heading to the boat, took another, took another one in the boat. He took like four or five of them. And Holy uh, shit. it turns out you can hallucinate from taking too much drama. Oh, don't tell people, you know? don't tell people they're gonna have and, a bunch uh, of so since then. I've, I've been getting like. 25 bucks a tab. (laughs) (laughs) But that's a true story. You know, it was the most bizarre thing. But we've had some weird things go on. What other drunk stories, though? We've had... You had to tie someone in a chair. Yeah, we had a guy climb into the tuna tower with about a 60-pound tuna, maybe 80-pound tuna, all the way up in the tuna tower, which we didn't notice because we were in the cabin driving into the harbor. And he's up holding it over his head, like getting everybody to cheer. And then he throws it in the uh, back deck, like from up in the tuna tower, almost killed a couple of guys. 20 feet high. And then when we get to the dock, (laughs) he comes climbing down the tuna tower and his hands were all greasy from the tuna. He slips off the tuna tower and landed flat on the finger pier, like... (laughs) Not, he didn't even hit the boat <laughs> on someone else's boat, yeah, right? It was, uh, somebody else's someone boat. Someone else's but, boat. Uh, <laughs> it was Let's be uh, clear. You know, you get all kinds of weird stuff goes That's on. Unbelievable. You know? Awesome. I had a uh, group of Navy SEALs come out, and as everyone knows, they're all adrenaline junkies, and they had had a few beers, and uh, we were shark fishing, and got the blue sharks all swarmed up under the boat, and probably one of the biggest swarms of blue sharks we'd ever had. <laughs> And uh, he decides he wants to go swimming with the blue sharks. So jokingly, I'm like, yeah, go ahead, you know. And uh, next thing I know, he's in his underwear, hanging his toes over the side to feel how warm the water is. And uh, I'm like, you get, they were coming up eating cod racks that we had tied onto the side of the boat. So I thought he was going to get his foot bit off. I said, if you're going to swim with those, you got to be go right in with them. And then I've uh, kind of jokingly didn't think he would do it and he went right in with him he's swimming <laughs> under the boat he's grabbing him by the tail and while he was in there i asked him to go down and check my zincs <laughs> he did and held his breath for literally i don't think i've ever seen anybody hold their breath that long but yeah so anyway i don't allow swimming off the boat generally <laughs> these guys were navy seals and seemed to know what they were doing and since then, I found out that Navy SEALs are just crazy. <laughs> <laughs> we've had a few groups of SEALs. Yeah, awesome, on the boat. guys. Um, I don't think what other, I mean, we've had, 
our fair share of just people sneaking hard booze and just getting obliterated. We had a couple. We had a couple last year that next thing you know, you turn around and like you said, you're you're sitting them in the chair and they don't move. Yep. Um, and generally, people don't really get mad when you tell them to sit. You know, sit. You're done. You sit down for the rest of the day or until you sober up because mm-hmm. they know that they're fucked up. Generally. Yeah, it's a battle. Our policy it's a battle is sometimes having a couple beers whatever is fine drunk and disorderly you go home and you don't get any refund and i've actually done that a couple times and you've done it on the way out a couple yeah, times I've, I've had i had a guy fall over the side in the morning first thing in the morning he was trash when he came down the boat turned around brought him back they had already paid me i wouldn't give them their money back they started screaming and yelling and a nice friendly woman police officer came down and put her hand on her gun and told him to get the fuck off my boat (laughs) (laughs) as as she should have yes oh and none of those stories thank god happened in our boats which is good yeah that that one did actually (laughs) yeah okay well that's it we ripped through a bunch of questions hour later boys perfect why don't you end us with your three words of wisdom uh You can't catch them if you don't have a hook in the water. Go by your own instincts and stay the fuck away from me. (laughs) (laughs) Stay tight, everybody. Thank you all for tuning in to this episode of the Seabros Fishing Podcast. We just want to take another minute to thank our sponsors, Costa Sunglasses, Mass Bay Guides, LT Marine Products, Black Oak LED, and Deep Apparel. If you are interested in checking out the products that our sponsors have to offer, make sure you check out the show notes and the descriptions of each podcast episode. All of their information is included there as well as the, the podcast affiliated um, promo codes. So make sure you take advantage of those. Um, if you guys haven't already, make sure you check out seabrosfishing.com for latest updates and content. We recently just added a Patreon page to our website which is a, um, a monthly membership that we offer to our listeners and to our members. Uh, it's 20 bucks a month. Uh, we offer a once, um, once a week Q&A, usually on Sunday evenings. And we're also uh, posting a lot of our rigging content and, and detailed hands-on bait rigging, tackle rigging, um, how we have our boats outfitted. Um, we're posting high-res videos and um, you know really tactical videos um on our patreon page so that's something that you you get with the membership so we're really excited about that also if you are interested in picking up new swag for the season um some new fish mark hats we just we just put up on the website some awesome stuff um kind of hawaiian patterns more summer fun hats i think you guys will like them some koozies on there stickers uh, we're gonna start putting up some of the artwork that we've been uh, that we've been doing during our our off season in between charter seasons here. So make sure you check all that out on the seabrosfishing.com website. And if you want to follow us on social media, you can follow Seabros Fishing at Seabros Fishing Mass Bay Guides. If you want to see how um, our charter season's going at Mass Bay Guides on Instagram and Facebook. And then Taylor and myself, um, our personal social media pages at MBG Brian and at MBG Taylor. You can shoot us a message there. Ideas for guests. Um, you know, we love we love uh, interacting with the listeners, 
and learning from you guys as well. So um, definitely make sure you uh, you stay in touch with us that way. And, um, and that's it. That's all we have for you today. Thanks for listening. Stay tight, everybody.